Proactive Athletes is the premier place that empowers student athletes to overcome the challenges of college sports recruitment. Their unparalleled expertise and influential network will guide you towards realizing your fullest potential. At Proactive Athletes, they understand that each student athlete is unique, facing their own set of obstacles. That's why their dedicated team takes the time to comprehend your individual needs, providing a comprehensive hands-on approach tailored to your success. With their personalized attention and unwavering support, they ensure your satisfaction every step of the way. Through their vast network, they have successfully connected with over 2.3 million coaches, giving your child's profile the exposure it deserves. In fact, their student-athletes' profiles have been viewed by an astounding 716,000 coaches, solidifying their reputation as the go-to platform for recruitment. What sets them apart is their data-driven approach, allowing them to make informed decisions that result in better outcomes for their student-athletes. By harnessing the power of data, they maximize your child's chances of success as they embark on the next chapter of their athletic journey. Join the ranks of proactive athletes and unlock your true potential. Let them amplify your talent, connect you with coaches that want you but may not have known about you, and pave the way for your future success. Together, they will defy the odds and ensure that your dreams become a reality. Don't wait any longer. Get proactive in your child's recruitment process today by visiting proactiveathletes.com. And make sure you use Shark Effect 10 for 10% off. Far too often people want to just like show up and, and have everything sort of like materialize and go their way. And at, at the end of the day, um, there aren't really any shortcuts um, early in your career. You need to learn, grow, build, um, you know, be hungry to take on things that you haven't done before to make yourself more marketable. And so, you know, for me, I approached every part of work uh, the way that, that I did sports, which is like, I've got to build the muscle here. Welcome to the Shark Effect. I'm your host, Alex Molden. I'm a former NFL veteran, and now I'm a leadership and personal development speaker and coach. In this podcast, you will hear inspirational and humorous stories from leaders of all walks of life, from current and former professional athletes, coaches, authors, experts, executives, and successful business owners. Discover how these leaders not only overcame obstacles, but also learned core principles that led to their success when leading others. My guest this week on The Shark Effect is a good friend of mine. Uh, Her name is Nilka Thomas. Nilka is from Alaska. She is the only person that, I was about to say the only black person. No, no, she's the only person I know from Alaska. But (laughs) she ran track at University of Oregon uh, from 1990 to 1994. And since then, she's really used her knowledge and her willpower. And it's just that that go-get-it type of attitude that she's gotten from being an athlete to have some amazing experiences that's taken her all over the world. Um, She worked at Google uh, for 13 years as a director of global diversity and integrity and governance. Uh, And just recently, she's been at, she's been a VP at Lyft. And so it's it's pretty cool. I can't wait for you guys to hear uh, her journey and where it has taken her and the type of attitude that she has had that I think we all have it in us, but 
um, it, it's pretty cool to hear inspiring stories from others. All right. So without further ado, let's dive in. Nilka, Nilka Thomas, welcome. Thank welcome you. to the Shark Effect. I'm happy to have you here. It's good to be here. I'm always excited to partner with and support a fellow duck. So yeah, thank you. Absolutely. For <laughs> That's so cool. But Nilka, tell us a little about your journey. Like what, um, you know, you know, we, we know you was a, uh, you was an athlete, you know, you ran track at the University of Oregon, but what happened after that? Was it all laid out for you? <laughs> yeah, I, I wish. <laughs> uh, not that simple, but just I, gu I guess I'll give you a, a kind of quick intro of uh, Nilka today, and uh, then we can talk a little bit about how I got here. But I'll, I'll start by just giving you a little bit of uh, an introduction of Nilka today, and then we can get into sort of how I evolved and got here. But love it. Um, I guess today I would, I would qualify or classify myself as a, uh, a, a working mother. Uh, and um, uh, uh, <clears throat> that's, that's probably the, the biggest or best part of my story. So I have two kids, <clears throat> Langston and Ophelia. Um, unlike you, Alex, my kids are still <laughs> real, real tiny. <laughs> uh, like 16 months and Ophelia is three and a half. I got started quite late because I think you and I are about the same age, but um, it, it certainly shaped my experience most recently, um, being a mom and trying to combine that with 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 work. Um, I've prided myself, I think, you know, since uh, leaving University of Oregon and you know, sort of jumping into the professional world, uh, you know, really being a professional and and trying to have impact inside of organizations specifically working on in you know, HR and in culture, uh, diversity, inclusion, hiring, all the things I think that shape organizations to be their best selves. Um, so I've been doing that for about a little over 20 years and have really, I think, been very lucky to work for some amazing organizations uh, throughout that time from Google to, to Lyft to Symantec to you know, some other startups in, in the Bay Area. So um, I think I've had a, a really you know, sort of like fun and fascinating professional career journey. And like I said, these days I've been able to combine that with a really you know, exciting family life. And, uh, and so that, that's a little of me in a nutshell, maybe how I'm thinking about myself in this era. Oh, I love it, thank you. Um, so tell us like, when you finished with college, where did you, see yourself going did you automatically like jump into the job market did you um you know think about starting your own business no yeah so uh, look <laughs> i have to zoom way back to those memories but what i can <laughs> recall is that i was i had a little bit of sort of what i'll call wanderlust after college i didn't have i was unlike um you know folks that i went to school with or ran track with uh, I didn't have a kind of predetermined ideas or set of ideas or uh, what my journey was going to look like um, post-university. And so, um, you know, those, those days at the close of, of college were yeah, con confusing, I think are probably the best is the best way to describe it. Um, because I, you know, sort of had um, not necessarily charted a path forward in terms of like, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? So sort of being thrust out of the university sphere into the real world was um, what I'll call a jolt. And I would say that it took quite a bit of time before I stumbled upon uh, some of the things I like to do and some of the things that I, I was good at. So for better, or for worse, I landed up at the right place, but I, I didn't walk out of 
Oregon with a clear intention about where I was going to go next. Uh, what was your first job? If you don't mind me asking, what was your first job? Yeah. So uh, actually it was in retail, <laughs> believe it or not. Um, I worked at Neiman Marcus for a hot minute um, in San Francisco. So after I, um, I left Oregon, I moved to, uh, I moved to San Francisco. Um, it was like many things that I did um, and, uh, at that time in my life and probably still now a bit impulsive. Uh, there wasn't a real, <laughs> there wasn't a real like, you know, idea around it. I didn't have, um, you know, sort of anything very particular um, in terms of why San Francisco or what I was going to do there. It was sort of like, it's the next thing to do. So I sort of landed upon that um, and, you know, worked at, at Neiman Marcus for, um, for a year or so. Um, mostly, I would say to sort of like pay my bills and uh, to enjoy San Francisco life. Um, I was actually pretty lucky. So despite, I think, not having really, you know, sort of clear ideas about what I wanted to do or, um, you know, what kind of career was going to necessarily suit me. I, I, I graduated with a degree in psychology and sociology, uh, which doesn't necessarily predetermine a path. Um, and so I, I and, and I think this has always been my approach to life is just get out there and have experiences and sort of life's going to find you. Um, and I think that's what happened. I, you know, for me, being in the Bay Area during um, a time of real opportunity. So if you think about when we had kind of the years after we graduated from college, it was right mm -hmm. at the cusp of the dot-com boom in the Bay Area. So a little of it was like right place, right time. I think the other pieces of it, as I'd, I've always surrounded myself with really ambitious, smart, capable people. And so I saw a lot of folks around me with their act together. Like they, they had jobs, like real pro professional careers. Uh, they had goals, <laughs> they had ideas about where they were going and, and they were sitting at this intersection of opportunity in the Bay area and really seizing upon that. And so I, uh, you know, I always try to learn from other people that inspire me. And I, I saw a number of folks really sort of like stepping into some, some really wonderful opportunities. And, and so I kind of followed suit. Um, I think I mentioned this to you when we, when we first got reconnected, Alex. Um, I also uh -huh. I, I am a person that can, um, I sort of can make it up as I go along. And so while I didn't have any real experience working in tech um, or working in HR, which is where I eventually found myself, um, I was smart enough to figure out how to, to convince somebody to give me an opportunity <laughs> and uh, <laughs> smart enough to translate some of what I had done and some experiences and talents that I did have uh, into um, a narrative that someone's like, okay, th this, this chick doesn't actually like have any experience, but she could probably figure it out. And so um, my first real professional job was working in recruiting for um, a, a dot com, now a dot bomb. I won't even bother to tell you the name of the company. <laughs> Okay. Um, but I, I basically said, you know, recruiting looks interesting. It's kind of um, the best of um, what I like in terms of the people function, which is finding an organization that you're excited about, finding people that want to be at that organization and contribute and making that match. And so I jumped into the world of recruiting and got to work with some really fast moving, um, you know, high growth companies early on um, in that kind of like tech sphere. And, and it was really just like off to the races from there. Um, I don't know how much I'll chalk up to like my, um, you know, sort of my talents, but I was ambitious. And, uh, and so I was I, that's great. 
Yeah, <laughs> ambition can do. Ambition can do some things. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, so, so, tell me, like, what was some of the things that you kind of pulled from uh, when you were uh, in sport? You know, running track. What were some of the things that you might have pulled from from your athletic side to now the the person who's you know you're older and you have some you have some other ambitions? Yeah, no, I think early on my mantra was just um, say yes, right? Like look for opportunities and 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 lean in. Like I said, you know, sort of those in those early days, I didn't really. Um, I didn't really know that much. I didn't even have a track record I could lean on, but I was hungry for opportunity and I was excited about being able to prove myself. If I think about that in the context of sport, you know, when I, I grew up in Anchorage, Alaska, uh, and um, when, I went to, when I went to college uh, at, at Oregon, what we call the lower 48, I was like in the big <laughs> leagues all of a sudden I moved from, you know, Alaska's is a little podunk, right? And I was, I was a big fish uh, in a small pond. And so when I turned up at University of Oregon, known for their track program, known for excellence, I was a small fish in a very big pond. Um, and so I did, I wasn't standout in those early years. Um, I had to prove myself. I had to work really hard. I had to make myself indispensable. Um, and I had to build those opportunities um, uh, over time. And so um, that, that hunger for success was something that has, you know, sort of translated into every part of my professional life. So that, that that's where I started, which is like, I'm seizing opportunity here. Anything that kind of comes my way, I'm going to find a way to lean into it and, and be great. Um, over time, as I got more experience and I kind of knew what I was doing and, and I could be a little bit more deliberate and methodical in the types of opportunities that, that I was looking for, then it became about, um, you know, building building my toolkit, right? And, mm -hmm. and, and it's always been uh, for me about insisting on really high standards and just continuing to challenge myself, lean into the really hard stuff and trying to have impact, um, you know, making sure that you are putting in the work. So that goes back to the sports piece again. I think far too often people want to just like show up and, and have everything sort of like materialize and go their way. And at the end of the day, um, there aren't really any shortcuts. Um, early in your career, you need to learn, grow, build, um, you know, be hungry to take on things that you haven't done before to make yourself more marketable. And so, you know, for me, I approached every part of work uh, the way that, that I did sports, which is like, I've got to build the muscle here. And a lot of that is just like time under tension, right? Like if you want to build muscle, you've got to do hard stuff over a long amount of period. And over time, that's going to, that's going to pay off. And so that's the way that I thought about my career. Oh, I love that. That was, yeah, I love that. So you talk about standards. You said, you said high standards. What were, what were some of those standards and do you still live by them? Oh, 1000%. Um, so I'll, I'll trace this one back to, to, to my dad. And I think what he sort of instilled in all of us as kids, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we all had to be good students and we had to be athletes. You cannot live it under my dad's roof unless you got to your books and you also played some sort of sport. It didn't matter if you were winning, you just had to be out there participating. And, uh, and that was always something that he, like with every single 
you know, brother and sister and cousins that came and stayed with us. It was always about sports and school. Um, we weren't allowed to work. Actually, my dad had um, a philosophy that you have your whole life to work. When you're a kid, you're a kid. You go to school and you play sports. So, um, mm, you know, well, I was yeah. lucky um, in that I had some natural ability and talent. Uh, I ran track and I played basketball in high school, well, junior high, all the way up. And, um, and, you know, one of the things that my dad really instilled in, in all of us, um, but in sports in particular was, um, you know, you, you go out there and you do your best every single time, whether you win, you lose, you draw, you need to be able to look yourself in the mirror and say, I did my best. I left it all out there on the field that given day, right? Not every day is going to be a PR. You're not going to win every race, but you need to know that you put your best effort out there. And when I, you know, I'm, I'm probably my own worst critic, um, have been my entire life. And, and so I, I just hold the bar really high for myself. Um, and it's about doing your best work. It's about putting in the preparation. It's about being accountable, being willing to fail and then pick yourself back up and trying again. And I think anytime that you can say, I did my best, it doesn't matter what the outcome is because you have that pride uh, knowing that you, you, put, you put the best effort in. You know what? That's, that's interesting because so many people, they, they, they look at the scoreboard. They look at, you know, what the finished product is. Well, really, the beauty is in the work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the beauty is in the, I mean, th- there's so many benefits that, that come along with, you know, when you say, you talk about saying yes, even to opportunities that you like, you're not quite sure of yeah. yourself and you, you don't have any knowledge or experience, but you still stay yes, because you want, you want that knowledge. You want that the experience. Yeah. I think that that's a, you, you've made a, a very poignant point here. It is about, it's about the journey. Right. And I think that in my moments when I'm being reflective and I'm looking back, yeah, I'm reflecting on the big wins, but I think what is most meaningful and, and what gives me an intense sense of pride is the journey that I went on, the, the, the losses, the failures, the picking yourself up, the surprising yourself, you know, busting through the ceilings that you never thought you were going to, um, and things you never thought you were going to accomplish. And then looking back and saying, wow, I, I did that, right? I, I accomplished that. I survived that. Those are the things that I think um, you remember most. And the wins come when you're putting in the work. That's how I've always felt about things is you do the work, uh, you put in the effort, you prepare and, and, and you, you'll get the, you'll, you'll achieve at the end of the day. Oh, I love that. Um, were there any like crossroads for you? Like when you were, when you were starting out and he was like, man, okay, if I go this way, this is going to happen. This is a smooth road. But if I go this way, there's going to be a little bumpy roads and whatnot, but I, f- I feel myself growing. Was there any type of crossroads for you, whether it was career or personal? that you love to share? Yeah, I mean, I think, yes. There And sometimes I, I, a lot of this is the reflection of those crossroads in the moments. I'm not sure I always acknowledge them as an inflection point or a crossroad. Um, but, you know, I, I would say that one of the more pivotal, pivotal crossroads I had was um, when I first got the opportunity to, um, to work internationally. So mm-hmm. it, was, it came as sort of like a big surprise. My boss like out of nowhere called me one afternoon and was like, Hey, I've, I've got this assignment. It's really exciting. And it, you know, it, it would it really advance your career. And he wasn't telling me exactly what it was. He was selling it before he, he tried to build it up. Huh? <laughs> I'm like, what is this job? 
Um, and then, you know, sort of at the end of all the buildup, he said, we want you to go and spend three months working in Seoul, Korea um, with one of our engineering directors, building out our first, you know, sort of engineering presence there. And, um, and so, you know, it had never dawned on me that my first international job would be in, in Seoul, Korea. Um, it took me a little bit of time to adjust to that idea, but before the end of the conversation, I'd already said yes, right? Um, oh, and, wow. <laughs> because I knew that like, you don't get opportunities like this every day, right? And, and that this person thought enough of me that they were going to afford me this opportunity to do something so, so novel and new and so, and so important for the company as well. So, um, so I just sort of stepped right into that opportunity with, without question. It did come at some sort of personal consequence. Um, I had just met a boy uh, and, <laughs> and then so, you know, a, a three month, you know, sort of departure wasn't really in the, you know, sort of my idea of like, starting a relationship, but I decided that this was the thing that I needed to be advancing and spending my time on. Um, I'll say that those three months turned into 11 months. So I ended up spending oh, wow. away internationally. Um, but what that moment of saying yes to opportunity yielded for me ultimately is immeasurable. I, um, after um, the 11 months in, in Korea, I ended up spending another year in, in London, uh, uh, working internationally, and then right on the back of that, went to Zurich for a year. So I, I was out of the country for three years, pretty much continuous. Um, and I couldn't, have, I couldn't have imagined, I had actually just moved back to New York when that first international opportunity emerged. And I was really excited about being back in New York. And um, and had been very planful about getting back to New York and but you know sort of decided that I'm going to go off my predetermined path uh, for a moment and where that took me it was very unexpected but um, you know the doors that that opened uh, I, I you know I can't even I can't even really measure um, how much mm. that that took me in in the right direction. Wow. Uh, Nilka where do you get your confidence from? You're, you're, I mean, you're just a confident person. Where do you, where do you get that from? That is a. Have you always had it? <laughs> I think I'm a good actress. Um, I am definitely. <laughs> I am a really good actress. Um, no, I, I think I'm one of those folks that, it, it do, on the outside, um, exude a, a degree of confidence, um, but on the inside have. Uh, you know, I think historically very much struggled with my my inner critic um, and a great deal of imposter syndrome. Um, but I think that, you know, sort of in in my earlier years, I, I let that sort of like define me or or take energy. And I would say that some of those characteristics and traits are still there, but I'm able to channel those differently and, and turn those into, um, you know, turn, turn, turn that kind of like internal conflict into something that's actually um, positive. And so um, I wouldn't say that I'm necessarily um, always, you know, sort of like my outsides are matching what's going on in, or in, in terms of the inside, um, but I'm able to be sort of self-aware enough to know like when I am, um, you know, not, I'm not stepping into what's possible for me um, and be able to shift in the, in that moment or understand, you know, sort of what, you know, where my mindset is and, and try to gain some perspective uh, on what's happening and, and how I might be able to, 
you know, sort of how I'm responsible for, um, for influencing that and, and shifting that and turning that into something more positive for myself. So um, mm. that happens on a, a daily basis where I'm, I'm having to have little pep talks with myself. <laughs> having, oh, I love that. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and what, what I realize um, is that your mind is the most powerful muscle, right? And so you have the ability to get yourself in your driver's seat. And, and, and even in those moments where you're feeling insecure or not quite capable, um, you know, solution, you can find the solutions from there if you can tap into some awareness of what's happening, right? And so like, I don't, I don't always have to feel my best, but as long as I understand what's driving that mood or what's driving, um, you know, sort of that, that, whatever that undercurrent inside like being able mm -hmm. to to name that and then figure out okay how do i um how can i control that um how do i get some control around that oh i like that i like that um yeah you know you're talking about like the positive self-talk and that's you know my kids they don't some of them like the younger ones they don't get like when i'm talking to myself <laughs> <laughs> i talk to myself and i do it all the time and yeah. sometimes i got to tell myself Hey, I'm a beast. I'm, I know what the hell I'm talking about. This is, you know what I'm saying? You, you got to like, you got to pump yourself up. And I used to do it so much like in the weight room and on the field. But then I find myself doing it also, you know, when I'm about to get on stage or I'm talking to, you know, um, to different organizations and even to some of my clients. Like I got to, I got to remind myself, right? So Absolutely. it's, um, yeah, it's, it's very interesting. Um, Milka, what is what is leadership? Leadership is so broad, and uh, I have a better idea of, of what it is because I can, you know, when you break things down, like you said, like you when you can break it down, like to the principles of it, it's uh, it's more palatable. So, and, but but you know, it it's such it's so broad, and I, I love being able to you know to ask my guests and see what their what their take of of leadership is. So, so what is your take? Yeah. Um, so, I, I mean, you're right. Leadership, the, the notion, the concept of leadership is, is super broad. And I think a lot of times when you say, when people say leader, they think of somebody that's like managing and has a team and, you know, is giving direction and, and, um, you know, setting the vision or an agenda. And, and that is absolutely leadership. That's, um, I think the, the way that I probably embrace leadership today, if, if you know, to kind of translate to that, to the, to my responsibilities at work. But I think that even before I managed teams or people, um, I, I had an opportunity to, to lead at work um, and, and, and lead in my, in my life and lead in my community, right? And so um, early that. on, um, when I, when I, when, when I uh, joined Google, like I said, I, I had originally um, joined working in recruiting um, and got really fantastic opportunities to help um, expand our recruiting operations around the world. Um, at some point I was, I decided I'm ready for a new sort of like career journey. Um, and I want to try my hand at something else. And I didn't quite have an idea of, or, you know, sort of like clarity on, on what that something else was going to be. I, I, I ended up working and it, it's a funny story because the, um, it, it, I wouldn't have imagined that this would have been my path, but I ended up, um, joining um, the diversity and inclusion team uh, at, at Google. So I was living in Zurich at the time um, and I really wanted to come back to the US and I really wanted to shift careers. 
but just didn't know what I wanted to do. It was also a bit of a precarious time. It was right um, around 2008. We had the global, you know, financial crisis. Oh, yeah. yep. so it, was, it, was, it was a tough moment, even for Google. Um, we were, had slowed down hiring. And, and so I had to find a job to bring me back to the U.S. And, and there wasn't a ton um, of available positions. There was a role for a diversity programs manager that was posted internally. And I, I had no idea. I'd been out of the country for three years. So I had no idea what the company was even doing around diversity is where the efforts were mainly centered in the U.S. at the time. Um, and so I just decided I'm diverse. <laughs> so <laughs> I'll go ahead and throw my hat in the ring. And so I reached out um, to the director that was hiring for that role at the time. And I kind of had um, a tangential relationship with her, people on her team. And so she ended up giving me my shot. Um, interestingly enough, she's been um, a, a mentor throughout my career. I followed her from Google to Lyft. Um, she was my predecessor in the role that I'm in right now as the chief people officer at Lyft. And so um, she was, she's been a very instrumental person in my, throughout my career. Um, I wouldn't have known that in that moment when I was applying for that job. But um, suffice to say, I got the job. I joined that team. I moved back to the U.S. And um, I was working on something really hard, trying to bring uh, diversity and inclusion into, you know, the tech industry, right? And so... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that the, my ability to do that was all about my ability to, to lead, um, my ability to speak truth to power, to help hold up an organizational mirror and say, we, you know, this is an area that we are really not performing. We can't be proud yet um, of the efforts um, and our, our progress here. And so that role was all about leadership. It was all about having hard organizational conversations with people several levels above my pay grade um, Mm -hmm. and helping the organization Google at the time sort of be its best self. And I was doing that as an individual contributor. And so like there was a huge amount of leadership necessity um, in that work. Over time, I moved into a more kind of traditional leadership role in that I had responsibility for a portfolio of work and the people that did that work and, um, and, you know, sort of had to shift some of my notions around leadership when you have managerial responsibilities. So when I think about leadership now, it, it still is very much about doing the work at the highest standards and setting that example for your team. Um, I think one of the things that define me as a leader is uh, no one will say that I will not roll up my sleeves and, and do the work with every alongside everybody else um, and, you know, expect the best of myself and everybody around me. Um, one of the things that I think are really is really critical is who you surround yourself with uh, in life and at work. And so um, I've never been afraid to hire people that are better than me, smarter than me. Um, I'd be willing to report to them. So, I, you know, you hire the best, you give those folks responsibility and respect, and then you build an environment where people can take risks, they can fail, um, and they know that as a leader, you're going to trust them and have their back. Mm, I like that. What are some of the the principles of leadership that, that you have in place at work and at home? Is it like, you know, whether it's communication, you know, building relationships, um, yeah. how does that, how, how does that look like at home? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that it, it, it all comes down to sort of trust, respect, and communications, right? Um, we live and work in 
like fast moving, changing environments. And, and so, um, you, you know, you need your team and the people around you to all sort of stay on the same page. So you have to talk about like what's going on, what's working, what's not working, um, that, that communication, that honesty and candor, um, and then the ability to like adapt together is just really critical. And I think last year was a perfect example of just um, work and home in some ways, like really emulating each other because it, everything was being really shaped and shift uh, and sh you know shifted around COVID, um, and um, you know what that what that meant for my personal uh, and professional life. I, I just couldn't have like coming into 20, 2020, I couldn't have anticipated how much change um, was going to we were going to sort of like undertake in that year. Josh, my my partner and I, um, we. We moved twice, uh, we, so we moved to New York uh, from San Francisco in January. Then in, in March or April, COVID became a real thing. We were in, lo in lockdown um, in Manhattan with two kids in an apartment for four months. Then we decided, okay, we got to try something else and then we got to adapt to the situation. So we came back to Colorado in, in June. Um, I, ha I changed jobs twice in the year. Um, you know, we had childcare issues. We, we just had to keep it moving. We had to keep evolving. We had to keep um, trading, you know, responsibilities with, the, with each other, Josh and I, in order mm -hmm. to, you know, just get through a situation that we couldn't, we, we, we couldn't predict. And I think that that was a great analogy for, um, what was happening, uh, what happens at work too. And I think, um, you know, in the business world, certainly at Lyft, um, you know, 2020 thrust us to, into a great deal of change um, and, and um, we had to adapt in the moment. And I think that, um, you know, my role running people organizations, you, you sort of like are at the, the helm of that in some ways, making these decisions that are really consequential for the people inside of companies. Um, and then, embracing that change, but also holding space for people that are going through that change because it's hard, right? Um, you still have to face it down and do what you have to do, um, but you have to also know that the fallout is gonna require additional you know, sort of contributions on your end, right? You're gonna have to pick up those pieces um, even when you're, you're, you're still going through the change. Yeah, yeah. What is some of the best advice you you were ever given? You have you know by a mentor or maybe a, a coach. What was some of the best advice? Oh well, I think I mean that's a, it's a good question. I've been given a lot of really good advice, but I think that um, yeah, one one thing that sort of like I, I guess I would say I, I live by is is my my integrity and my word, right? Like that that's really all you have. You've got to keep your promises. Um, and so, you know, at the, at the end of the day, what I want to be known for is somebody that people can, can trust and depend on, right? They come the, somebody that sort of comes through um, and um, everything that I sign up for in my mind is an implied promise and it's a commitment. Uh, and, um, and so when I, when I sign up for some, for something, I, you know, bring that high standards mentality, I'm going to do it with my best effort. Um, and if I can't, um, I need to be clear about that too, right? So I think this idea of like your word uh, being, you know, golden uh, and really all that you have, uh, it follows you your rep in terms of your reputation. That's something that I've always kind of held dear. Mm, that's great. Uh, Nilka, what is some advice that you would give your 22-year-old self? <laughs> um, 
that's a that's a that's an interesting one because I've been I've been thinking a little bit about my 22 year old self and uh, would have and I mentioned this earlier at the top of the conversation it was all about saying yes like saying yes to opportunity proving myself um, you know just just seizing kind of what comes your way what I say to myself a lot more these days or w- words I live by a little bit more is like no so, like finding ways to actually say no uh, and really it's not about um, lessening opportunities or closing doors. Um, it's about prioritization and goal setting. Um, it's about managing my energy um, and knowing where to sort of spend my time. Um, and that translates not only into work, but it's sort of like, where do I spend my time with my friends? Where, how do I spend my time with my family? Um, and you realize, I think, as you get older, that that time is not infinite. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, the way that you spend your time can either take your energy or can restore you. And, uh, and so I would say to my younger self, try to prioritize more, try to understand what's meaningful for you and get that out of the decisions that you make and what you're saying yes to. Mm, That's great. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's, yeah, that's really, that's really cool. Nilka, how can my listeners get more of you? Are you on social media? I'm the worst at social media. No, I am on Facebook. <laughs> I'm not okay. on Insta or any of those, although I, I probably, I, I am on them. I follow people. I don't ever post, um, okay. but on, on Facebook, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, okay. always sharing something about, um, you know, professional advice or articles I find or cool things that Lyft is doing these days in the community and, uh, in rideshare. So, um, so LinkedIn and Facebook are the places to find me. No, all right, sounds good. Well, I'll, I'll have all this on the uh, on the show notes. But Anoka, thank you so much for sharing your journey. Uh, you know, I want to definitely have you on again. And um, yeah, thanks for being a guest on the Shark Effect. Absolutely, and thank you so much for having me, Alex. I appreciate the invitation, and it's been great to connect with you again too. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Shark Effect Podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback for us, you can reach me directly at thesharkeffect.com. Thanks for listening. It's here, finally. My book, The Ultimate Playbook for Higher Achievement. You can get it on Amazon and the uh, paper paperback version or you can get it on kindle and who this book is an in, intentionally created for is for those who are looking to transition whether you was an athlete or an executive or a successful entrepreneur or whatever if you're looking to transition into something different this book can help you I break it down. I lay down the foundation of who you want to be. I have a chapter in there that breaks down and boils down leadership, which is influence. And you got to understand these 10 influencers that can help you with decision making, that can help you with influencing others. And how are you influenced? I have chapters in there that really breaks down my system of assignment, alignment, and adjustment. Um, recognizing the power of your environments is a chapter developing your own procedures creating relationship roadmaps using adversity to your advantage right 
because we all go through tough times. But how do you flip it? How do you use it to power you? Okay? And then developing your own standards. So these are things that can help anybody, not just not just athletes. Now, there's some stories in there, you know, that covers topics that that resonate with athletes. But I think overall, this book can help um, anyone who is looking to transition into becoming successful in something new, something different. Okay, so make sure check it out. Amazon, the ultimate playbook for high achievement.